Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. And something that was a area of the economy that had been so stuck in the past that changed radically and quickly because of coronavirus is the car market. Uh, people very heavily pivoted to negotiating, shopping, negotiating, and buying vehicles online, doing touchless delivery of new vehicles, something that had never been part of the car business and of businesses that people really have historically not trusted the car business is it i mean this is this is pitiful and it does not square with the people i've met in the business but a new gallup poll finds that just nine percent of americans said car salespeople are honest and ethical and that puts car salespeople at the lowest level of trust even below members of the u.s congress so this is a business that has very little trust from consumers and so people really liked buying vehicles with no pressure and buying them online well now as states have opened back up bloomberg reports that car dealers are now trying to discontinue the online access not all dealers but many trying to discontinue the online access and get people back in their stores you know they have huge um, investments in those stores and there's a lot of expense building those fancy uh, two-story showrooms they're so uh, elegant now and they've got the snack bars and all the things they have in those fancy showrooms and if i'm a dealer and i've spent all that money i've done it because it's a profit machine when you get people in there a lot of times people will come in and they'll drive away in a new vehicle they didn't even have an intention of buying that day and they don't comparison shop so it's been really terrible for dealers with all the comparison shopping that people are doing now online they're also buying less what are known as packs you know add-on charges buying online so dealers are realizing that they are able to squeeze more revenue out of every sale even with the higher overhead of having people come in and you're going to have dealers try to lure you back into coming in before they talk to you about price or particulars. What I will encourage you to do is understand their incentive is different than yours. If you want to get 
the best deal without having the hassle, you want to do your shopping online. You want to do your negotiating with multiple dealers online or use one of the car buying processes I've talked about. And if you look what's happening with the used vehicle market, people under age 35 have no interest in going to a used car lot of a new car dealer, going to a used car place or anything like that. They want to do it right on their phone. And that's how Carvana and and Vroom have become players in the market. And CarMax, the nation's largest used car seller, has very heavily invested in having an online platform where people can buy a vehicle that way. You know, a lot of dealers did it out of necessity because no one was buying if they had to come because in a lot of states you couldn't go to a dealer showroom because of coronavirus earlier this year. But now a lot of people, once they've experienced how fantastic it is buying online, are learning something from people who've been doing that for a while. And I hope that when you are shopping for a vehicle, you'll follow my guidelines that I have at Clark.com on how you do it and get the best price. And be very careful going to the dealer to make a deal. Because if you want the best deal, it's going to be shopping online. Producers Kim and Joel asking your questions. And Kim, who are you starting with? Today, John from South Carolina. He says, Clark, our company received a PPP loan. One of our employees wants to retire because our job involves meeting the public. He's in his late 60s and he's worried about the virus. Can you tell us if this will affect our PPP forgiveness? We are a small company with a total of five employees. I've looked around for an answer online with no luck, and I thank you in advance for your help. Certainly, and uh, I will tell you that under the interim, the most recent interim regulations, you need to fill that position with another person so that you have the same headcount as before. Now, I've read the newest congressional act on the PPP, and it's possible that when the newest interim regulations are written that because you reduced headcount by one because of a retirement, you may still maintain forgiveness, maybe, under new regulations that don't exist today. But if there's enough work to fill that position and bring somebody else in, then you will know that then you'll have maintained payroll the number of people employed, and you'll be fully eligible potentially for the loan forgiveness for having maintained payrolls. Now, (laughs) I will tell you that over the journey of the PPP over these months, the rules have been an ever-moving target, and the next set of interim rules will still not be the final version as things will continue to change Uh, maybe over much of this year, but that's the best advice I can give you right now. Joel? Clark Dan in Washington says, I love the show. I've heard you speak of the benefits of an HSA account. Tax-free in, tax-free out for allowed expenses is definitely a win-win. 
I've been funding our HSA for the last few years. My question is, if we retire overseas or decide to relocate overseas before retirement, will we be able to use funds in our HSA in the same manner as if we were living in the States? I want to check in with you before I keep contributing. You should be able to use your HSA funds outside the United States, but it will be a little more costly for you. And uh, some of the reasons it will be more costly is you're going to have potential exchange rate issues with getting access to the money. But you also have the benefit that overseas, medical costs tend to be significantly cheaper than they are in the United States. So I think you'll be um, okay under today's rules. You are okay, and in the future, hopefully that will still remain the case for you to be able to use your HSA money even if you are retired in a foreign country. And Joel, you looked into this before. Is there anything that I've omitted that I should add as well? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think if you're if you're spending via a debit card that's linked to your account, be aware of potential you know foreign transaction fees and and look at the details. But you should be okay spending money from an HSA HSA overseas. And your questions are welcomed at Clark.com/ask. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Ben in Texas. He says, "My round trip flight that was supposed to depart on March 13th to Athens, Greece." was scheduled, but I went ahead and canceled my reservation due to the virus. I was lucky enough to say, to hear that I would be receiving a refund to my credit card, but over three months later, still no refund. I've contacted the credit card company, which is held by my credit union, but they have not come through. I've contacted the airline by email and phone several times, but all I get is the same story, which is, they're sorry, and that my information for a refund is in the queue. Is there anything else I can do? I also filed a complaint with the DOT. And did this poster say what airline? They did, Lufthansa. Lufthansa, all right. So that is a little more trouble prone because if it's a U.S. flag carrier, it is a lot easier to... Um, to sue them in small claims court, uh, Lufthansa may have a registered agent in the state where you live, and so you can contact, it'll be a corporation commissioner, secretary of state's office, where you go on their website, and you could see if Lufthansa has a registered agent in your state, and going against them in small claims court would be the next step. Lufthansa is in terrible financial trouble, they are receiving a multi, uh, a huge, I don't know if it's multi into the billions of euro, but they're getting a massive state bailout so that the airline will survive coronavirus. But even with that, they're going to lay off a very large number of people. And uh, not making refunds has been a problem, particularly with overseas airlines getting that money and uh, I I know it's so frustrating trying to deal with this and the added complication in your case is it is a foreign airline but if you do find that registered agent it's pretty simple to file a suit in small claims court courts are reopening around the country and 
Lufthansa would have to answer the court through their registered agent, and they'd probably say, what do you want? And what you tell them is, you just want your money. Joel? Clark Frank in Georgia says, what effect does a credit card debt settlement or a write-off have on somebody's credit report, and which solution is best for the consumer? So if you uh, settle a debt for less than the amount owed, it will normally reflect that on your credit report. It will show a zero balance. Uh, The reality is the greatest harm already occurred from the debt going delinquent and being charged off. Um, Time is also your ally with this. So if you do a settlement with the credit card company for less than the total amount, that is a negative factor versus paying the balance in full. But considering the circumstance, I don't think of that as a major event. Kim? This is from Tom in Arizona. He says, I heard on the radio that COVID-related government spending may quicken Social Security's first ever reduction in monthly payments. I'm 52. I'll turn 62 in 2030. And the first reduced payment is supposed to be in 2035. I was not intending to take Social Security until age 70. However, would it make sense to take it at 62 to get five or so years before the reduced payments begin? So let me make you both more relaxed and more upset about this. So Social Security is going to run out of the ability to pay 100% of promise benefits now earlier than the original 2035. But the reality is a lot of people think that that means that payments will go to zero or something like that. Even if Congress does nothing, the overwhelming amount of Social Security owed to people would be paid. But Congress is going to do something because people that are Social Security eligible vote in much larger numbers than any other population group. And they're not going to want to upset the senior vote in Congress. So they will come up with a solution to make Social Security whole almost certainly with a combination of higher taxes and maybe delaying for future beneficiaries when they can start taking their Social Security. Joshua joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joshua. Hey, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Joshua. You are looking at refining your loan, and your timing is exquisite. Yeah, um, I guess just to give a little background, my wife and I have been kind of working hard to, to get finances in order, and we've done really well kind of not having debt, and and we're kind of at the point now where I'm, I'm kind of getting the itch to, to keep doing something, you know, um, and, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, I grew up helping my my family work on rental properties. So, you know, I thought maybe I could look into that. And then I heard you talking about, you know, refining your loan down to a 15%, you know, or 15 year loan and rates are really good. And so I I guess I'm just kind of looking for direction on which way to go. What Um, is your rate right now on your existing mortgage? So I think it's not, it's a good rate. I think it's a 3.75 or 3.5. So you don't have much move to make there right. uh, unless rates right. were to keep cratering, 
you know, and, and that changes all the time. But there's probably not enough given there. At least, I mean, that could change, but right now, maybe not. So, okay. your other so idea, your other idea is question. to buy a rental property, though, right? Yeah, you know, I I like movement. So if I'm, it's either now then it would be so do I pay down on the mortgage that I have, or do I save up and try to buy a, a rental property or something? All right. So like if you that. could, if you could get a two point seven five on a fifteen year, if your credit's great, you're a member of a credit union, or you join one shop around, if you get something around that territory and you are at 3.75, if you confirm that, that would be a move worth making, probably, especially if you're going to stay in this home. Right, okay. But then you're going to be paying more every month, and it might soak up some money from you, and so buying a property might not be viable. The alternative, leave the loan you have, and then look at buying a rental property. You'll pay about a half point higher, and rate on a rental property than you would your own property. But, uh, you know, I have loved having rentals over the years. And if you have the mentality that you're willing to manage that, maybe that would work well for you. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Now, our show is all about you. It's all about giving you advice and guidance that does just what I said, empowers you with knowledge so that you can make better decisions, have more independence, more control to be able to do the things and accomplish the goals you have in your life. And so you rely on me to give you the best advice I can come up with. And there are times that that advice may not ring true or an opinion I have may feel just completely wrong to you. I want you to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know where you feel I've let you down. And then weekly, our producers, Kim and Joel, go through your posts and share their favorites with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, are you ready for this? Of course. Okay, let's start with Gabe today. He says, hi, Clark. Thank you for your service at this incredibly challenging time. But listen, you took a call from an emergency RN who had to use her PTO for mandatory quarantine time due to COVID exposure at work. I know your stance on unions has never been particularly favorable, but I can't think of a time in recent history when the labor movement has been more critical to workers' rights and worker safety. Many unions have been fighting for PPE, hazard pay, and fair treatment at a time when non-union workers are left to fend for themselves and face massive layoffs. I don't know if the RN was a union member, but if she is, she should contact her delegate. I appreciate that post, and the union movement is not a monolith, and there are certainly very good aspects of having unions and there are others that I'm not as excited by but your advice there is very valid and very good thank you Joel 
Clark Sammy says, for years, Clark, you've unnecessarily scared people from supporting family members or others in need via gifts. You often reference tax consequences to give a person more than $15,000 in one year and suggest complicated strategies involving intrafamily loans, forgiveness, etc. I would assume most of my fellow listeners have less than $11.5 million in assets. And if so, <laughs> giving someone more than 15000 a year has no tax consequences right. other than a simple filing to notify the IRS of your intent to utilize part of that $11.5 million. You can leave estate tax-free at death. So thanks, Clark, for being open to my feedback. Thank you. I mean, that is true. The amount that subject to exclusion has changed so many times over the years that there was a time that the amount of money that was able to be passed at time of death without being subject to a state tax was small enough at one time that it could affect quite a few people. Obviously, now where the estate tax is today, where it doesn't kick in till potentially 11 million bucks, uh, there's a tiny, tiny number of people who that would apply to, like you, Joel, and maybe a few others, Warren <laughs> Buffett. But uh, that is a very good point that I so go into that mode of thinking that people are going to face estate tax, and most people aren't going to have to worry about that and could very simply give more than that. And I just hope that for anyone who does help out a family member that it doesn't become a habit that they're like, well, you helped me last time. What about this time? Kim? Anthony says, Clark, you don't stink, but maybe you need a small breath mint for some advice that you shared recently. A question came in on how long to retain financial records and you properly responded tax returns should be kept forever. But you also indicated that there was no reason or a limitation on keeping medical related financial records. One exception I would recommend in this instance is when someone has an HSA. If you have an HSA and you don't need to take the money out to cover medical bills, you can claim the expenses later. So you let the HSA grow, then use your medical bills slash records from prior years to start to draw down the HSA funds at a later date. That is brilliant. And I'm so glad more and more people have HSAs. I think about years ago, when we would get a call about an HSA, it was just so unusual and so rare that anybody had one or had ever heard of one. Now millions of people have them, and it is an incredibly beneficial tax strategy if you can avoid spending the money in your HSA and just roll it forward each year and then keeping your unreimbursed medical expenses to reimburse yourself later as the post says, is exactly the right way to do it. Great post. Joel? Clark Lawrence says, you are a voice of clarity about the stinky, stinky 403B plans we in education and nonprofit get offered. But why, oh why, do you give TIA a pass? They stink too. I have owned 403Bs at TIA since 1979, but I can't get it out of the low return investments. When I said I wanted to roll over uh, the 403B to my IRA, I was told that was impossible. Tia would only give me the money over 10 years. Please keep telling the truth about ripoff 403B plans, but also tell the truth about Tia. They're not the exception. They follow the same stinky rules. So I'm very curious where the 10-year thing comes in with Tia. I 
I don't know what the particulars are of that. And if you don't mind, if you would supply us more information so I could understand what is happening in your case. Uh, Tia has always been an exception in the 403 B, 403B business where most providers of 403Bs sell teachers and others at nonprofits and hospital workers unadulterated trash with expenses that are as much as a hundred times what people have in a for-profit company equivalent 401k destroying the financial security of teachers in the country so if there's something i should be aware of that's a gotcha with tia i need to know that the other player that does a really great job in the 403b market is fidelity investments Kim? This is from Gregory. He says, Clark continues to tell people to take out all of their money out of the six monster mega banks and put it into online banks. But with the downturn in the economy and possibly a coming crash, all six mega banks already will be getting federal bailouts. Won't these online banks go under? So even if a bank fails, if you have less than a quarter million in it, your money is 100% safe, and during the banking scandals of 7, 8, and 9, people had their money available to them the next banking day, thanks to the great work of the FDIC's administrators. And so there is no risk to your money. It's not going to go away, even if any bank were to fail and be closed by the FDIC. Joel? Clark, this one's from Sean. He says, okay, if I have to say it to get this helpful hint across, Clark, you stink. You frequently get callers who ask if they should refinance, and you ponder it and advise to go with a 15-year option. Why don't you direct them to one of the many websites or mortgage calculators instead? Zillow has an outstanding calculator called Should I Refinance Now? For example, I retried for a 15-year at 3.5% about 15 months ago. I tried, I plugged it in. What's my break-even and when does it save me money and how much? And then I plugged in 2.75 with zero points and it's actually not worth it still. So with the calculator, just plug in the terms. It will tell you exactly how much it will save or cost you. There's no debate or judgment. Tell callers about the calculators, Clark. Thanks. Thank you very much. We're also uh, developing a calculator that allows you that I'll let you know as soon as it's up and running at Clark.com that will allow you to compare one refi offer to another to another because I'm always talking about how you should go to multiple lenders for quotes, but I've not been able to find a simple online tool for you to plug in the offer from different lenders and see which one is truly the best offer that you're being made. As for the idea that you talked about with the Zillow app, the key with any refi for most situations is you want to be able to make back the cost of that refi in a reasonable window, which I usually arbitrarily put at 30 months. And so it's if you go from like a 30 to a 15, you can't plug in the payment you need to know what interest you're paying every month for those 30 months in your current scenario versus the refi you're being offered and that's how you know whether or not 
the refi is going to pay off in a reasonable period of time. Now, I do want to mention one other possibility which can frequently be used, and that is you do a no-closing-cost refi where you take a higher-than-market interest rate, and in return for taking that higher-than-market interest rate, the closing costs are absorbed by the lender, so you're saving money right from the first day, and you don't have to worry that maybe the rate's not a huge amount lower than what you have, but you know it is lower. Kim? This is from Legong. She says, when I heard Clark's response to the caller who engaged in day trading with penny stocks, my stomach turned. Instead of urging him to change such risky behavior, Clark suggested slash implied that he do it within a retirement account. Being a listener of Clark for more than 20 years, I'm wondering if he's starting to lose his touch. (laughs) Oh, man. So, uh, as you know, I hate penny stocks. They are so rife with fraud and the possibility of making money in them is near zero on what are sometimes referred to also as pink sheets. In the case of the caller I was speaking with, they were determined to do it. So I was trying to answer the question within the realm of where their head was at, even though, as you know, all through the years, I think it's a lousy idea to ever get involved in buying and selling trading penny stocks or stocks that are not listed on traditional exchanges. I appreciate all your posts. Please, when you feel that I have missed it, messed up, go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. Arnav is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm good. You? Great. Thank you. I understand you at a young age are trying to learn to invest. How young are you? I'm 12 years old. Okay, this is fantastic. Yep. Great. Uh, tell me what you're thinking of doing or what you want to learn. Well, I want to know what the best company to, that to, to manage my, um, my stock portfolio. You have a stock portfolio or you want to build I one? I want to start a stock portfolio. Okay. I just want to know what the best company is for it. Well, there are a lot of good choices, but starting out from scratch, I want you at a place that you both have access to a a physical office you can go to and what you can do on a phone or on a laptop. And so my two favorite choices for that are Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab. Have you heard of either or both of them? I've heard of both of them, but... I think, I think I've heard about Fidelity more. Okay. Uh, I heard it's very good for um, investment, and they take really like good care of your portfolio. Yeah, so Fidelity would be a great choice if that's one you're already really knowledgeable about. You have to have an adult be your custodian. You can't go in at 12 years old. They won't let you open your own account. But you can have your account that is under the care of an adult. Oh, yeah. I heard that's also the same case for an IRA. Yes. Yeah, because Because you're not allowed till age 18 to have an account that's completely yours, free and clear, with no adult involvement. I think it's a custodial IRA, is what I've heard? Yes, yes, that's right. Now, you can only do an IRA 
if you're working and have money from a job. Yeah. So I was like, I have some ideas on making some money and just like planning ahead. I think that I'm going to be pulling in a bit of money. So I want to like start an IRA because I've heard that the earlier you make an IRA, the better it is for your future. Huge, huge difference the earlier you start. And you start as a preteen. By the time you're 22, your money that you've put in at 12 will likely have already doubled. And so there's a great advantage of that. But I don't want you to do an IRA. I want you to do the the, um, brother of an IRA or sibling, whatever, the Roth IRA. Okay. They work very similarly, except the... The Roth will work better for you because the money will grow tax-free and you spend it tax-free, where with the traditional, everything you have in it, you eventually are taxed on it. So for like an IRA, is there a limit to how much you can put in it? 6000 But you've got to make 6000 to be able to put 6000 in it. Yeah, 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 of course. So with Fidelity... You can put in any amount from a dollar forward and open an account with them. Oh. Also, my last question is, you know, I'm going into the, I'm going to start investing into the stock market, of course. But, I mean, should I invest in, like, like, are IPOs a good way to start or maybe like a, or rather just go with normal stocks? I'm not a big uh, initial public offering guy. I, it's more, to me, more speculative than regular investing. And I want to have you think about this, too. Fidelity offers these things called Fidelity Zero Funds. And with your Roth or any other investing you do, i like for you to start putting money into what's known as an index fund, where you own little pieces of lots of different companies. So you have that as your base, and then after that, put money into the individual stocks you're interested in owning. So what I'd like you to do, go to after we uh, finish talking, I'd like you to go to Fidelity.com and read the briefing on the Fidelity Zero Funds, especially the, um, I think they call it the Fidelity Zero Total Stock Market Index Fund, and Total Market Index Fund. And then the other one, the International Index Fund. Read both of those. Okay. And those would be great choices for you. And I think this is fantastic that at 12 years old, you're into this. And if you learn to always live on less than what you make and you start investing at a young age, you're going to have so many more choices in your life. And that's really, really exciting. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.